Do babies have a natural instinct to sleep? Getting a better understanding of what my partner needed and what my children really needed, that's made a huge difference. Yes, yeah. otherwise I can get a little bit overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I think lots of parents can relate to yeah. that. You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt. I am the first to admit that maths is not my forte. I still sometimes have anxiety dreams about sitting a test on logarithms. It's terrifying. Recently, my daughter said to me, I'm just no good at maths. And while it's something I understand, it's not something I want her to think, given she's only in grade one. Eddie Wu is a mathematics teacher who started recording his lessons and uploading them to YouTube in 2012. Since then, Eddie's videos have been viewed over 18 million times, capturing the attention of maths lovers and loathers alike. This year, Eddie was named Australia's Local Hero of the Year and was shortlisted as one of the top 10 teachers in the world with a CV as impressive as that. I'm very happy and perhaps a slightly bit intimidated to welcome the Mathematics Master into the studio now. Hi, Eddie. How are you? Siobhan, it's great to be here. Congratulations, because today is the day you launch your first ever book. It's really exciting. It's been a long journey to get to this point. Two years of writing, but I'd like to think it's actually 10 to 15 years of thinking and processing ideas that have all come into this. I'm very excited. And accumulating. And it's called Wu's Wonderful World of Maths. Love the alliteration from a mathematician. But you actually said that maths wasn't your favorite subject at school. When I was at school, English and history and drama stories and characters and narratives, they were the things that I really enjoyed. And for me, sort of coming into the education space, I had the full intent to become an English and history teacher. And it was only because I first discovered at university, I met people who told me about the undersupply of mathematics teachers that Australia's been facing for many years and still is facing now. And I hadn't loved it, but I had taken quite advanced mathematics when I was at school. So I thought, Maybe there's something I can do here in an area of need. And that was what set me on this very unusual trajectory. I I love that. Just gives people an inkling just how smart you are that you did advanced mathematics, but you didn't even really like it. (laughs) Oh, that that just boggles my mind. Um, Now, we mentioned there was a quote at the start of your book, which, of course, I don't have on hand here, but I loved it. Can you tell us that quote and what it means to you? Yeah, it's from the mathematician Stefan Banach, and he said that mathematics is the most creative of uh, a discipline of the human spirit, which to me, I remember reading a quote like that (laughs) when I was at university as someone who had loved the humanities and was learning to become a mathematics teacher. And I read many quotes like that, and I thought, what? subject are these people talking about? It's not, certainly didn't feel like the mathematics I had learned at school. And so I I figured, okay, if really intelligent people throughout history who really dived way down into the rabbit hole and, and gone into the depths of mathematics, if this is what they think about the subject, maybe there's more to it than I originally realized and perceived. And that sort of set me on this journey to learn more about it. And that's kind of the journey that created the book. And also your passion for teaching, of course, because there are many people who will say they hate maths, like they loathe it. It's a passionate feeling. Um, and I would have said, I would always say, I'm, I'm not a maths person. So is that something you were hoping to turn around with your teaching and your discovery of what was beautiful about maths? Well, I think it's actually a bit of a misconception that there are maths people and non-maths people. You know, in, in the same way that, you know, I 
am not musically gifted in any particular way. I didn't, you know, I actually had to learn the piano when I was younger and my fingers just couldn't reach an octave and I always found that very difficult. And so I sort of wrote myself off as a non-musical person younger in life. But then in year 12, actually, I picked up an acoustic guitar for the first time. Um, there was this girl I really wanted to impress <laughs> and... Uh, didn't work out, but what, what did change was that I realized with a very different reason for learning this, this discipline and putting the hours in, I actually really enjoyed music. And I thought, oh, there is a part of my brain that, you know, in fact, the neuroscience now is really clear. The research shows us there, aren't, there isn't a physiological difference between the people who have a, a knack for mathematics or those who don't. It's that willingness to persevere, having that environment where people are able to fail and say, that's okay, I can learn something from that, rather than have that emotional kind of recoil that many of us remember about mathematics growing up. And, and part of what I have always found hard about maths, and when I look at my daughter and think, how am I going to encourage you to enjoy this subject, was it felt, it always felt very structured, very rigid, and that you had to have a really logical thought process to get it right. Is that still the case? One of the most beautiful but also tricky things about mathematics is that unlike any other area of human knowledge, once something is proven true in mathematics, it's true forever. And I think that's actually really beautiful. You know, Pythagoras' theorem, which, you know, some listeners may be getting sort of sweaty palms remembering <laughs> right angle triangles tormenting them in their classes. Pythagoras' theorem um, was discovered centuries ago and has been subsequently rediscovered many times. It's as true today as it was all those decades ago, but not other, the other areas of knowledge are not like that in history. You know, we dig up something new and we're like, well, sorry, everything that we thought about this area was wrong. In science, the whole nature of science is to reinvent and to revise and come up with better models. Now, the timelessness of mathematics, I think, is wonderful. But the upshot of that is, you know, when you're 12 years old, and you're learning about algebra for the first time. This is something <laughs> this is something that's been established for centuries. And so we kind of move into this space where it's like, no, no, no. Look, there's established knowledge about here and established wisdom. And often that can come across as a structure which can be very intimidating. But I prefer to think about it like walking into a cathedral in Europe. And you're surrounded by this amazing history, some of which you don't understand or appreciate. But you can marvel at it and you can take the time to learn and appreciate it. Damn, I wish you'd been my maths teacher, which is actually physically impossible because you're younger than me. <laughs> you're listening to Kindling Conversation, and I'm speaking with Eddie Wu. He's just released, released today his book, Wu's Wonderful World of Maths, um, and it's how to instill a love of mathematics in kids from a young age. It's what we're talking about because I mentioned that I am not a maths lover, but I'm already excited just listening to you speak, Eddie. Um, you have three children, and you talk about how you have used maths to answer some of those questions that kids love to throw at us, um, like why is a rainbow curved or what is a rainbow? How do you do that? And is that only something, is that something we can do if we read your book? <laughs> well, uh, for me, that the book is that journey of discovery. I, I realize you know, every chapter is pretty much named after and designed around an idea that I never knew about when I was at school. And as a teacher, discovering these things and realizing, wow, if I'd known about this earlier, I would have been much more engaged and surprised by the beauty of mathematics. So it's, it's grounded in something real yeah, as opposed to something it's, more abstract? Well, it's, it's a bit of both. So it's number one, it is often connected to, to real physical objects like, say, a rainbow or like, say, the, the branches of a tree, which spread out 
Well, I mean, it almost looks like they're sort of random, but then again, we all recognize what the shape of a tree is, and if you asked a child to draw one, they'd be able to do quite faithfully reproduce it, um, just like you might actually have an equation, a formula that could create that shape. So there are patterns around us. Uh, mathematics connects us to those parts of real, the real world. But at the same time, there are things that you can just play around with. You know, they don't necessarily have to do, do with anything in real life, but you know, every game that any child has ever played has had a mathematical foundation to it. Uh, noughts and crosses, checkers, chess, monopoly. Every single one has a mathematical concept built into it that we just have fun exploring with. A deck of cards. I carry one with me everywhere I go because you can do all these amazing mathematical tricks with one. That, you know, does that have a, an application to real life? Well, no, but it's just fun and humans enjoy patterns <laughs> like that. So on that note, um, I know that maths is no longer compulsory until you're 12. It was when I was a kid and I re- when, when I was at high school. And I remember thinking when I heard that it was no longer compulsory, I thought that is so unfair. Why did I have to do it to you 12? I'm never going to use <laughs> logarithms in my real life. What's your answer to that um, when people say, yeah, but... I'm not going to use maths after high school, so why should I take it past year 10? So I've got two answers to that question. I've been teaching for 10, 11 years now, and I've been asked that question hundreds of times every year. And I kind of, in the first few years, I realized, you know, I came up with a lot of what I thought were very good answers to that question. <laughs> and then I, I slowly realized people generally don't want an answer to that question when they pose it. It's not a question about their future. It's actually a complaint about their present, that they really hate what they're learning. They see no purpose in it. And so I I came to realize, even though I have, there's lots of practical applications for it. In fact, what's important is to be able to answer that question about what's someone's experience of mathematics. Let me me give you a comparison. Um, Mathematics and music, they share a lot in common. In fact, uh, there's this quote that I really enjoy, which is that, Mathematics uh, is music for the mind, and music is mathematics for the soul. There's wow, what a beautiful quote! All these patterns and ratios and relationships in music. Now, we we make our children learn music for a decent chunk of their schooling. We don't do that because they're necessarily going to become professional musicians. We do it because music is a natural expression of the human soul. If you can understand the music around you, you can appreciate human patterns that we create and design. And so I think mathematics is very similar. There's mathematics out in the real world, just in nature. But a lot of the society that we've built for ourselves is also mathematical. And even if you're not going to be an engineer or an actuary, the ability to to listen to those melodies and understand them and appreciate them, even if you're not going to play them yourself. I think it's a really valuable perspective to have. So in that respect, is there an age where you think children should start learning uh, addition and um, subtraction, those sorts of things? I think it's really tricky to put down a, you know, an exact number. Oh, it's, it's three and a half, exactly, Siobhan. Um, every, everyone is different. And it's true. Some people take, have a natural affinity for numbers and they can just grab it. I mean, I, I've seen toddlers and some of them just have an obsession with counting things. Good for them. That's great. I don't think there is necessarily one age where, you know, it's like, yep, uh, I want to have times tables by this point. I want to have, you know, fractions or whatever. But what I think is really important is from day one, All children need to be open uh, and and their parents really need to be open to showing the patterns and shapes and numbers that are around us in the world. I think if we kind of, you know, 
avoid exposing children to that and, and seeing the happiness and the joy and wonder that can be found in that, it would be just the same as never reading to our children or, you know, being, you know, shut, shut the radio off. You don't want them to listen to music. That's kind of a, that's, they'll be contaminated with all these ideas that we're not ready for. Um, being open to that. Even if, I mean, as I said, I wouldn't be a, describe myself as a super musical person, but I want my kids to love and enjoy music and grow their own appreciation of it. So I think right from the beginning, from when children can just interact with you, which is when they're babies, I think it's important to start that attitude of openness to the mathematics around us. Which also probably means we shouldn't talk about how bad we were at maths. Oh, don't worry. I was terrible at maths too. That can't be good for them. Well, yeah. In fact, that's a really... Uh, it, I've understood this by watching it happen so many times with many parents. It comes from a good intention. It comes. We want to make people feel okay and, and uh, not intimidated by the subject. So we kind of show them, yeah, don't worry about it. But in fact, you know, teenagers... And, and younger children, they don't need any excuse to stop applying themselves to understand this difficult subject. It is difficult. They don't need an excuse from us to stop that. And it ends up being quite fatal to their uh, ability to persevere and appreciate and learn these patterns and, and ideas. Um, if we just sort of give them an easy out, I think it's really important to encourage that and persevere with that from a young age. I feel like for myself anyway, there was a point where um, I'd started not doing so well in maths and then I got this like mental block. It feels like a mental block where I just thought, I can't do maths. It's just not me. I can't do it. I can't work it out. And I know now we know a lot more about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. Do you see um, children now that you're teaching in high school have a greater ability to, like you say, persevere, to not get stuck in that rut of thinking, I'm just not a maths person? I am filled with hope. There's a lot of really great signs, as you say. You know, even the language about growth mindset is... um even though it might be something we've recognized for many years, to be able to articulate that and for kids to understand the difference and parents as well. Um, but one thing I'm very cautious about is that even though we do understand those things now, you know, we also understand lots of things that are unhealthy that we still do anyway. And it's, <laughs> it's very easy for those kind of toxic and destructive and discouraging mindsets to persevere if we don't think more deliberately about them. So I think it's the, the messages that we give off to our, our children and to our, you know, this is something which is a cultural, it's a social way of thinking. Um, if you watch any movie that has a teenager in it and the teenager has is viewed in their maths class the the filmmaker the director's done that <laughs> to show them what a miserable time they're having at school now i think that's it's a trope it's a it's a cultural kind of um stereotype that we've fallen into but it's it perpetuates this myth. So I think, yes, there's great hope, but we have to be careful about the active role we play in helping form our children's mindsets about maths. Well, I think, Eddie, the, the obvious answer there is that you need to be in more movies teaching maths. <laughs> Move on from the book that you've just released. Now you can go into TV. Um, Eddie, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure, Siobhan. That was Eddie Wu. If you're looking for the answers to questions like, why is a rainbow curved? Are humans born mathematicians? Or how a sunflower is like a synchronized swimmer, you'll have to get your hands on Eddie's brand new book. It's out today. It's called Woo's Wonderful World of Maths, and you can find it now online and at all good bookstores. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head to kindling.com.au.